going to invite you to stand and follow along in the passage that we have for this morning. It's Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And you'll notice, if you are here last week, you'll notice the title. This week is the same as last week. Good news deserves a good response. And we're going to see this consistent theme throughout Advent as we track disciples of Jesus, the first disciples of Jesus, those who actually saw Jesus enter the world. It's, it's interesting to think about Jesus' mom and dad and the shepherds who we're going to look at this morning being disciples of Jesus, right? They were following Jesus when he was just a baby. Even before he was born, Mary and Joseph and these shepherds are learning what it means to follow Jesus. They're receiving this good news, and they're responding with a good response, and we want to learn from that. And so let's look at Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will fill a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from there into when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And their shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You may have a seat. Well, I think we all know this, right? Good news deserves a good response. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at Mary receiving this good news and having a good response. And we looked at Joseph receiving this good news and having a good response. And this morning, we're looking at the shepherds receiving this good news and having a good response. We've all learned this lesson many different ways. Like sometimes we've gotten good news and we've responded in a good, appropriate way. Most of us have probably learned this lesson by receiving good news and not responding in the right way. I'll never live down the, the moment that I most powerfully learned this in my, my wedding day. Um, see, my wife Brittany and I, we kind of grew up in different spheres of life. I grew up in a sports world where, for me, like my response on game day was like straight face intensity, like we're going to conquer and win, right? I played baseball and I was a pitcher and on the mound, like you just wanted this like, it was joyful. I loved being on the mound. Pitching is my happy place. But when I was pitching, I wasn't up there just like smiling, laughing, having a good time, showing exuberant joy, right? It was like, this is game time. Brittany grew up in like show choir performance world where your facial expressions are very important in that world. And so our wedding day comes. She, like many women, have been dreaming of this moment forever. I had been as well. For me, it's game day. For her, it's show time, right? And so if you remember how a traditional wedding works, the guy's standing up here. And the bride's coming down the aisle, beautiful and ready to commit to one another, right? She's tearing up with joy and beaming, and I'm standing here. It's game day, right? 
not a good response to this good news about what's going to happen. And Brittany and I laugh about that now, but she was not laughing about it that day. I mean, we, we got married. By God's grace, our marriage is great. We love each other. We have so much fun together. But that was, that was really this moment where she's like, what's wrong with you? Are you not happy to be here? I mean, she came up and she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, let's do this. And she's like, what? You're weird. What am I getting into? And we all learn these lessons differently, right? That good news, good experiences really deserve a good response. And in God's grace, he, he walks with us, right? I think all of us can think through different seasons in our life where we haven't responded rightly to God, to who he is, to what he's doing in our life. But as we continue to press into the gospel, the good news, we ought to be growing in how we respond to God, to who God is and, and what God is doing. Our, our response ought to match the news that we're receiving. And I love how consistently this theme is in the Advent story. Over and over and over again, we see these central figures, these central disciples receiving good news from heaven. And they show us what a good response is to that good news. They show us what it looks like to respond to the gospel. And so today, we're going to look at the shepherds and their response to the good news. And so first of all, we're going to be reminded of the good news that they received. Just like we did with Joseph and just like we did with Mary, we want to we consider what is this good news? Because if we miss what the news is or if we miss the good nature of this news, we're never going to respond appropriately. It's only when we understand this news that we're receiving from heaven on high that we can have a good, a joyful, a proper response. And so let's be reminded of what this good news is. First and foremost, I want us to notice, just like we did with Joseph, just like we did with Mary, that God interrupts the shepherd's world. Specifically, he interrupts their world with good news of great joy. Look at verse 8 through 11. It says that in the, in the same region, this is the region of Galilee, this small little region with a bunch of little villages, not a prominent, powerful place in the world, kind of a, a throwaway town, a, a town that people didn't think much of. And there's these very simple characters throughout the scriptures. I love this about the Advent story. Not like the powerful, not the elite, not the prominent, not the, not the influential people of the world and society. God shows up to those who are marginalized, to those who are forgotten, to shepherds. You would become a shepherd in the region of Galilee if you didn't come from a very prominent, well-known, powerful family. You, you haven't received, you haven't inherited wealth from generations past. You're not a trust fund baby. You're the child of a shepherd, and you learned how to become a shepherd by watching your dad, by following him, by apprenticing him. It's, it's dirty work. It's hard work. It's, it's work that if it's not done, the entire culture suffers, right? I mean, sheep were a primary leading economical force in this day and age, but the shepherds weren't thought of highly, right? It's like the people who bought and sold the sheep. They are the ones who, who influence society, and that's how life is, right? It's usually those who buy and sell, not those who do the hard, dirty, day-in and day-out work. And here we see Jesus continually showing up to those type of people. And so we're in this region, the region of Galilee. There's shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is an amazing scene. They're just out doing their job day in and day out, doing what they're supposed to do. This isn't at all the point of the text, but I want to make this point. You notice they're outside. 
They're, they're not inside with their face staring at a phone or a screen. I think oftentimes God shows up and reveals to us the good news when we, when we take our head out of a screen or out of a book and we get out in God's creation. There's a unique reason why this is happening here, so I'm not saying that the angels showed up to them because they weren't surfing the internet, right? But I think it's a good reminder for us that sometimes we don't hear from God. We don't hear the good news because we're so busy taking in information that we don't have any distance for God to speak to us. And the shepherds are just outside. They're doing their work. They're in the field. They're keeping watch over their flock. They're just doing their job. And it's in this that God interrupts their world. They're not looking for anything. They're not asking for anything. They're minding their own business. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Keep in mind, God interrupts our world not because of what we're doing for him, but because he longs to impart to us good news. He longs to wake us up to the spiritual reality of the world. We talked about this last week, but if you think back over your life, God's the one who's taken initiative through trying circumstances, through tragedy, or through a sermon that you heard, or through a conversation that you had, or through some weird miraculous experience that you had. Like, like my dad, when he was kind of going through a crisis of life in his early 20s, and he picked up a hitchhiker, and the hitchhiker said, you know, the Lord is coming back soon, and my dad wasn't a Christian at this point. And my dad was like, what do I care? I don't even know if I believe that stuff. But okay, thanks, hitchhiker. Drove him to the place, the guy got out, and that stuck with my dad. What does he mean the Lord is coming soon? And my dad wrestled with that and thought about that, and God kept doing different things to interrupt my dad's world to get his attention. What's your story? This is part of the good news for us, that, that God longs to wake us up. He longs to get our attention. He's doing it here and now. If you've never responded to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Maybe this is a sign that God is reaching out to you. He's calling to you. He's inviting you into life with him. He's trying to interrupt your world. And what's he interrupting your world with? He may be using it. He, he may be interrupting your world through bad circumstances, through trying circumstances, through conversations with friends. But here's what God is interrupting your world with, what he's always trying to interrupt our world with. The good news of great joy. This is what the angel says. He, the angel shows up to these shepherds in the field. Verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. There's like this trembling fear. If an angel shows up to you out of nowhere, if a celestial being shows up, there's probably going to be some kind of fear. You don't really know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring you good news. That word good news in the original language, it's you and Gelion. It's where we get the word evangelical from. It's why on our building, if you drive along Minnetonka Boulevard, it says evangelical free church. Our church started from a movement of people who just wanted to be free to worship Jesus, to receive and share the good news. That's what evangelical means. It's been co-opted. It's been it's been misused and mistreated in our cultural context. But I, I want to remind us, church, that this word, euangelion, evangelical, it means good news. Good news, God has interrupted our world. The creator of the heavens and the earth has seen us in our struggle. He has seen us 
be abandoned by other people. He has seen us be hurt by other people. He has seen the hurts that we have inflicted upon other people. He's aware of all of the sin that we've done and all of the sin that's been done to us. He's aware of our searching for meaning. He's aware of our searching for eternity. He knows that there's this eternal God-shaped hole in our hearts that we're longing to worship. We're longing for meaning. We're wondering why we're here. We're wondering what to do while we live here. We're wondering what happens Next, and God is seeking to interrupt our world with good news. That there's hope, that there's purpose, that there's meaning. And this good news is of great joy. This word great joy, it it means like the characteristic of favor. The response of receiving favor. If you remember last week we talked about Mary receiving favor from God and it's nothing that she did. Mary was not sinless. The angel showed up to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. This word favor means to be the recipient of grace, the recipient of unmerited favor. Nothing that you've done. It's a gift from God. And this word here for great joy, it comes from the root word for favor. It's it's a response to favor. It's that I can't help but feel joy because God has looked upon me with favor. Like he says in verse 14, the angel says, Glory to God in the highest and On earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. That idea there, the angel is coming to the shepherds and saying, hey, there's good news. There's this this evangelical proclamation that God is interrupting your world and he's looking upon you with favor. Incredible, right? There's this good news that God has extended favor to you, that God isn't mad at you and seeking to condemn you that God, because Jesus, the Son, is coming. This is the good news. There's a Savior. There's a Messiah. That's what the angels go on to say. I bring you good news of great joy. So this evangelical news will produce in you great joy, and it will be for all people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. There's a Savior coming to to deliver you from your sin. Everything that you've done wrong, all the ways that you've hurt others, all the ways that you've offended a holy God, all the ways that you've misstepped, everything that, that has been done to you, all the ways that people have sinned against you, there's a Savior coming to deliver you from that. He's not coming to deliver you from the Romans. He's not coming to deliver you from oppressive governments. He's coming to deliver you from sin and its effects. To to bring healing to your soul. To bring purpose and meaning to your life. To give you hope for the future. This is the Messiah. The long-awaited Savior to the Jews for the world. This is the good news that God is interrupting our world with. That there's hope, that there's purpose, that there's meaning, that there's forgiveness for sins. Amen? This is good news. It's only when we keep this true good news in mind that we can respond with joy, with great joy, that we can have a good response similar to that of the shepherds. Let's go on. Let's consider another piece of the good news here. This good news is universally offered, but it's exclusively applied. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know what the word all the people in Greek means there? All the people. All the people. This is, this is a universally offered gospel. 
the good news, the gospel that God has come in flesh, that Jesus the Savior has come in flesh, that there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, it's not exclusive to a certain ethnic group, to a certain culture, to a certain continent, to a certain political party, to a certain opinion persuasion. To It's not, it's not exclusive for the Jews in the first century. It's inclusive. It's universally offered to all people. Anyone who would hear this good news, anyone who would hear the proclamation of the gospel, whether through a miraculous way, an angel on high, or, or Jesus appearing to you in a dream, or a preacher, or a missionary, or a friend, or a neighbor, it doesn't matter. This gospel, this good news that goes out is for all the people. That's why we send missionaries around the world. That's why we walk across the street to build relationships with our neighbors. Amen? Because this good news is universally offered. The scriptures say that, that Jesus is slow to return because he's wishing that none would perish. He's longing that all of people would respond to this universally offered truth, this good news, that there's hope in Jesus, that there's forgiveness in Jesus, that there's salvation in Jesus. It's for all people. So keep telling it, keep telling it, keep being an example of it in all of your life, trusting that God's heart is for people to come to know him. But it's exclusively applied. How does this work? I don't know. We're not going to dig into that. Some churches will take you, on, you know, down a rabbit trail for hours talking about how this works. God's sovereignty, human's responsibility, like what's the level of our, our response and, and God's interrupting. I, we don't know. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. Why when the angel broke into the shepherd's world did the shepherds respond rightly? And why did Herod not? Well, the scriptures tell us God hardened Herod's heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart in the Old Testament. Why? We don't know. It's a mystery. But what we need to know, what we need to keep in mind is this good truth. This, This good news is for all people, but it's exclusively applied to those who respond. Why do we respond? How do we respond? When do we respond? Don't know. It's a mystery, but it is exclusively applied to those who respond. Look at verse 14. The angel says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This offer of peace on earth is not for a worldwide peace, right? World peace. There will come a day when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom and rules here that there will be peace on earth for all people. But until that day, peace on earth is reserved for who? What does the text say? Peace on earth for those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth for those who have received God's grace, for those who have received God's undeserved, unmerited favor. This is the good news for those of us who are in Christ. That God longs to shower us and grant us with his favor. He he has, he's put it upon us. It's like putting a crown upon somebody's head, just giving it to them. That's what God has done for those of us in Christ. We're considered favored ones. We're considered pleasing to God. Is that amazing, church family? What if you went about your life, your relationship with God, thinking, my father's pleased with me. My father's pleased with me. My father's pleased with me. Why? I don't know. He loves me. He's pleased with me. That's so freeing. And that's what scripture is saying. The angel shows up 
He says, here's this good news. It'll be great joy. Part of this good news is that there's peace on earth for those with whom God is well pleased. And we could go down a rabbit trail here too and say, well, why isn't there peace on earth among the brothers and sisters in Christ? And this is a declaration of the angel. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so there's this exclusively applied reality, this, this receiving of the good news, and then this exclusive application. It's effective for those who are in Christ. And it's saying that part of the effective work of the gospel will be to bring peace. Or in Greek here, it's irene. It means wholeness, completeness. On earth, not just in heaven, but on earth, with those whom he is pleased. So why is the church so divided? Why are brothers and sisters in Christ so divided? Why is there so much infighting? Why is there such a lack of completeness and wholeness among the church of Jesus Christ? I'll give you one of the reasons why I think there is, because I think we forget the good news. I think we forget to extend to one another the benefit of the doubt that God is well pleased with you. Who am I to judge you? Who am I to, who am I to hold that against you. Who am I to think the worst of you when God on high is seen the best in you? When God on high has called you favored? When God on high has said that we as a community are supposed to live in peace with one another, that there's supposed to be completeness and wholeness among the body of Christ. Amen? And, and so church, let's keep this good news in mind. Let's, let's remember who God is, what he's done for us, that he's invaded our world with this good news, that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that we are forgiven, that we are favored, that we are pleasing, we are a pleasing aroma to God. And then let's extend that to one another, knowing that if we're in Christ, that's how God sees us. That, that we have this exclusive gift to receive from God, peace that the world longs for but can't understand or experience until they enter into the family of God. Amen? The family of God is supposed to be the place, the safe place, the place filled with the most peace, the most love, the most grace, the most forgiveness anywhere on the earth. This is good news. Let's keep striving for it. And when we understand this good news, we can respond like the shepherds. Right? And so let's talk about how the shepherds respond. So they received this good news from the angel. God's interrupted their world. He's told them good news, this evangelical proclamation that there's hope, there's salvation, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. They, there's this response of great joy. This good news is offered to all people, but it's exclusively applied to the people who respond, who receive this truth, this good news. And then let's look at how the shepherds respond. One of the things that they do is to respond in humility to go and see. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to I pick up here, as we look at this response, I want to kind of tie it to last week when we talked about Mary. If you remember in Mary's song, look over in Luke chapter 1. Just on the other page, Luke chapter 1, verse 48. So remember, Mary receives the good news, and she responds in a good way. And part of her response is to acknowledge humility and hunger. Look at verse 48. Mary says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary, a humble teenage mother in a small town of Nazareth. 
Joseph, a humble teenage carpenter in the small town, throwaway town of Nazareth. Shepherds in the region of Galilee, hardworking, overlooked, not prominent, not powerful, not influential at all in the region of Galilee. Remember what Mary's saying. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Jump down to verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. There's a, there's a key in here for us, a reminder for you and I that our good response to the good news is, is one of humility and spiritual hunger. Acknowledging our humility, there's a holy God who's holy other and perfectly worthy and unlike us and that ought to humble us. Who am I that he would invade my world? Who am I that he would seek me out? Who am I that he would shower me with favor and grace that ought to humble us? And then it ought to make us hungry for more, for more truth, for more gospel, for more good news. This is what the shepherds do. I think Mary here is, is giving this proclamation, which is true for Mary, that he has looked on the humble estate of Mary, his servant. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate, and he has filled the hungry with good things. This, this song, this proclamation is true for Mary, but it's consistent throughout the scriptures, and we see it here in the shepherds. That their good response to the good news is one of humility and hunger. And, and, and they're humble and they're hungry to go and see. To go see this thing that God has done. To go see this thing that God is doing. Think back to your own journey. Whether it was initial when you started to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're curious about Jesus right now. Or maybe you're, right now maybe you're like in a, in a reawakening period where you're excited about the things of God. Or maybe you're kind of apathetic to the things about God. Regardless of where you're at, think about your journey. When you humble yourself to God, when you receive the good news with humility and hunger, aren't you eager to go and see what God is doing? You hear about what he's doing in a small group and you don't judge it, you want to go and see it. You hear about what he's doing at a different church and you don't judge it or compare yourself to it, you want to go and see what he's doing there. You hear about this college campus ministry that's, that's really kicking. If you're, pro, if you're proud, you'll judge it and you'll stay away. But if you're humble and hungry, you'll want to go and get around it, right? See, pride causes us to, to discount, discredit, or ignore what's happening in other places. To ignore what God is doing. To think that God is only doing something powerful in and among us or nothing powerful at all. Pride, pride like narrows our focus. But spiritual hunger and humility causes us to want to see. To want to see what God is doing. To want to see a new thing. To want to see this, this, this son that is born. This is what the shepherds do. They, they say, let's go see what's happening. This is incredible news. God is breaking into our world with a Savior. He's giving us hope. Let's go and see. And they go, I love verse 16, it says, and they went with haste. There's this spiritual hunger and this eagerness that comes to those who are humbled underneath the powerful, mighty, loving hand of God. 
Amen, church? And so I want to encourage you this season as you continue to reflect on the good news and think about the good news. Would you allow it to humble you and to, to make you hungry to just go and see what God is doing? To come to these scriptures anew with fresh eyes and say, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? To attend church, to go to your family gatherings, to attend Bible study, to go to a prayer group, to listen to worship music and say, God, would you show me what you're doing? I'm, I'm hungry. I want you. I'm humble. I don't want to distance myself from you. I don't want to discredit what you or your people or your churches have to say. I don't want to ignore what you're doing, but I want to get in the way of what you're doing. I want to be surrounded by your family. It's one of the pieces of the good response here. And then the next thing that the shepherds do is they have the humility and the hunger to stay and tell. So they go to Bethlehem where Jesus has been born. They're hungry to see this news. They're hungry to experience this news. And, and I love that it says in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that the Lord had told them concerning the child. Remember, the angel had told these shepherds this great truth about who Jesus was. Verse 11 Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. And so they go, and they're with Mary and Joseph. And verse 17 tells us that they share with Mary and Joseph what the angel had told them about Jesus. Jesus, this baby, the angel told us he's the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. They're hungry to proclaim the truth to one another. You know what's interesting? They're not telling Joseph and Mary anything that they didn't already know. Joseph and Mary had also had an encounter with an angel where an angel had told them who Jesus was, right? You remember that? We looked at the, that the last two weeks. So why do the shepherds feel the need to stay for a while and tell Mary and Joseph what the angels had told them? Because disciples of Jesus need one another to remind us of the truth, to remind us of the good news, to remind us that there really was a Savior who really lived and really died and really rose from the dead. They have enough humility to stay for a while. They're spiritually hungry enough to stay and tell the good news to one another. Pride causes us to grow weary of telling the good news, of hearing the good news. Right? If you think about your spiritual journey, there's moments where you're like, I've heard this all before. Give me something new, Pastor. I'll go find some podcasts with some new information. Blow my mind. That's pride. And I'm not saying there's never a time and a place to do that, right? There is. But what we're seeing in this response of the shepherds is this, this humility and this hunger to, to sit with the family of God, literally here, the family of Jesus, the mother and the father of Jesus, to sit with the family of God and to tell the simple old truths of the gospel that Jesus is the Savior. He came to deliver us from our sin. Amen? Oh, church, how we need this so bad, so desperately. We need the humility and the spiritual hunger to get into each other's homes and to eat meals and to talk about Jesus and to remind one another that Jesus is the hope and the life of the world. That Jesus is the king whom we worship. That Jesus has given us favor. 
you know what I need to hear? I heard it this morning from somebody in our church who I confessed my performance anxiety to. And I needed to hear from him, God's not more pleased with you if the sermon's good or, or displeased with you if the sermon's bad. Look at the scriptures. He's pleased with you. You have his favor. You have his grace. That's what I need to be reminded of. And don't you need to be reminded of that? When you have a down week, when you have an off week, when you haven't read your devos, when you haven't prayed, when you, when you haven't come to church for months because you're wrestling through a bunch of stuff, do you need to be beat up with that? Or do you need to be reminded, hey, if you're in Christ, God sees you as favorable. He's showered you with grace. He's come to save you from your sins. You are set free. There is a deliverer. His name is Jesus, and he's for you. We need the humility and the hunger to stay and tell the good news to one another, to rehearse the gospel over and over and over again. Pride causes us to grow weary of listening to the gospel and sharing the gospel, but humility causes us to long for the gospel. And then the third thing that the shepherds do here is they respond with the humility and hunger to return and worship. Look at verse 20. So after they share this, Mary, it says in verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. That's a good response to the gospel is to ponder it. And then in verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They go back to normal life, but they don't go back to life as normal. They go back to tending to their sheep in the fields. They go back to their to their humble job, their forgettable job, their, their kind of looked down upon job, their cast aside job, their marginalized lifestyles, but they go back in a different way to worshiping. They go about their daily life glorifying and praising God. The word for glorifying here is doxa. It, it, it means to ascribe value to. So they go back to their job ascribing true value to who God is and what God has done. Not ascribing value to the size of their paycheck, the amount of their influence, the obedience of their sheep. It's a different way to think about it, right? Like, what do you do for work? Oftentimes you ascribe value and worth to that and what that will do for you. These guys, like, their, their idol was the behavior of their sheep and how they could control this flock of sheep, which I hear is really hard. But they go back to that life not ascribing worth and value to, to their production, to their performance, to their contribution, to their influence. They go back to normal life ascribing worth and value to God and that they have a Savior, that there is a good news. And so this church sets us free. Go back to work tomorrow. Go home to, to lunch this afternoon ascribing worth not to like what you can control, but the fact that there's a God who saves you and loves you and is for you. And this will cause you, if you have this humility and you have this hunger, it will cause you to, to ascribe worth and value to the right thing, namely to God, and then to praise God, to worship, to sing. This word praising, it means to sing. Disciples, sing. You're a singing church. Let's keep doing it. We could get louder. If you, if you could stand to let some people around you hear your awful voice, or maybe your great voice, I don't know. I heard a couple weeks ago, my mic was still on after the service and I was singing and it was not great. Um, if you go back on Facebook Live like two weeks ago, if you really want to hear a minute of me singing, you can do that. I would recommend not doing it. 
but I sing loud because, because this is the response of a disciple. When, when we've encountered God, when we've received the good news, when we are reminded what the good news is, that it's God invading our world, giving us hope, giving us meaning, giving us salvation, when we keep that in mind, we can respond the way that the shepherds did, with humility and hunger, to go back into normal life. Yes, we have to leave this place. You have to go into normal life, but do it like the shepherds, returning to normal life, glorifying God, ascribing him worth and value, and praising God, singing, verbally singing, internally singing, remembering that there's this good news which offers great joy. And so church family, let's not be afraid to join the chorus of the shepherds, of the carpenters, the choir of the fishermen and the mothers and the fathers and the uncles and the brothers and the sisters who sing the glories of God day in and day out. This morning, we want to respond to the good news by remembering what it is and then singing about it. So I'm going to invite you where you're at. If, if you're a disciple wanting to respond to the good news of Jesus, let's take communion together this morning. Remembering who Jesus is. This is part of our response is to remember that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you, are you and I are incapable of living, died a sacrificial death in our place on our behalf. And so if you want to walk in that and live in that life, grab that communion pack in front of you, pull out the wafer. Break the wafer. And then as you eat it, remember that Jesus sat with his disciples. He passed it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Peel back that next layer. And as you drink the cup, remember that Jesus passed it around to his disciples. He said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you remember me. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have invaded our world with good news and great joy. Thank you that this gospel news is available for all. And Lord, I thank you that, that it's been applied to me and to many of us here. Lord, that you see us as favored sons and daughters, people that you are well pleased with. And Lord, may we respond like the shepherds in humility and hunger to come and see, to stay and tell, and to return and worship. And so, Lord, even now as we sing, may we sing like the shepherds. May we sing like we mean it. May we ascribe you glory and worth. And may we sing as though we've been set free. In Jesus' name we pray.